we're in the book of Acts, which is victory no matter what through our faith in Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit. And the title, if you were here last week, you know, the, I didn't, I got about halfway through, but uh, uh, Todd, you did all new songs, right? Ah, I said, Todd, you, they were great. You, they did new ones. So I try to give them a break and uh, use the same communion songs, but, but they're both, both weeks were great. But uh, we, um, what was I on? Oh, uh, we're, today we're going to do, again, Reviving Generation Next. Reviving Generation Next, Acts 21 through 12. And we're going to try to finish this time. God must have known we needed reinforcement on this issue or something. And I did add a few things, as you'll see. So, uh, uh, now, start off with my sleeping story. Have you, you know, we talked about have you ever fallen asleep? Let's just pretend we didn't have last week, but yeah, have you ever fallen asleep? <laughs> it's weird doing the same beginning. Uh, falling asleep at a really bad time, right? Maybe driving even, something crazy. Maybe while you're, while the pre- Preaching. I don't think I've seen anybody fall asleep lately here, but uh, in, the, in the other big auditorium, it was different. You could you could snooze and 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 I couldn't catch you there, but it's harder to get away with it here. Uh, but when I was a youth pastor, I was talking about when I was a youth pastor, we took a group of teenagers. Kim and I took a group of teenagers to Florida, a busload of kids, and they had a rule that if you snuck, it was called nationals, and it was the denomination we were part of, and there was a rule that if you snuck out. Caught outside after curfew with your, you know, guys with your girlfriend or something, you were sent home. And I did not want to deal with that irate parents. Why did you let my kid get sent home? You know, why did you let them sneak out to make out? So I, so I, uh, so I was like, did all I could, and I just was determined nobody's going to get sent home from my group. So I, I was just watching them close, and 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 after I, everybody's falling asleep, I still was watching and listening, and and as a result, I didn't get much sleep that whole week. I did not much sleep. And I was getting exhausted, exhausted. And finally, by the last night, I had a perfect record. I caught lots of them trying to sneak out. Uh, but they did, could not get out. In fact, they started calling me RoboChuck. RoboChuck. Remember RoboCop? Nobody could get away with anything when they called me RoboChuck. And, uh, and so they could not get by. But last, the, finally, the last night, I was so tired. I was afraid I wouldn't be able to catch them. So I actually slept right in front of the door. I put myself across the doorway so that I could definitely catch them this time. And, and, and sure enough, one of them, Brock was his name. Some of you remember Brock. Uh, he, he was determined to, get, to sneak out to make out. And, uh, he, and, but he didn't know I was at the door pitch black. And also I felt something kick me and step on me. And I, was like, and I heard him he say, whoa, what's going on? And, 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 and he turned on the light, looked down, and there he's standing on RoboChuck, right? You know, kicking me. And, and I'm like... And, and I was like, he, he knew he was dead. He knew he was going to get away with it. So he was like, oh, uh, oh, uh, you know, I, was, I had to go to the bathroom. Something, something silly. I go, and I, and I, when I, and I looked up and I never forgot. I said, what I wanted to say in my mind, I said, Brock, go lay down right now, or you're in big trouble. You know, you're. I'll send you home myself. Go. You're not getting out of here. That's what I meant to say. But what I said was because I was. So tired. What I said, I don't know if you ever had this happen before. I said, <laughs> He's like, What? <laughs> I'll never forget to say. He was so funny. I go, <laughs> Right now, right? Yeah, and, uh, and he says, Oh, okay, yeah. Then he knew he had me. He stepped over me, shut the light up, and left. And there's nothing I could do. I fell back asleep. Fell back asleep. Nothing I could do. He didn't get sent home, but uh, but he but there's nothing I could do. He, he got he got me good. We're gonna see a teenager fall asleep today in the story today in the Bible today. A teenager falls asleep, but with tragic results. Far 
worse than being sent home. Tragic results and also a shocking ending. A shocking ending we're going to see. Okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we're back here again and we can celebrate communion and pray that you would prepare us through your word now. And Lord, we pray that if anybody here has never put their faith in Jesus Christ, today would be that day, whether they're out there watching or here live. Lord, I pray that today would be that day. And Lord, pray that for every one of us that we would wake up spiritually. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so... uh, uh, let's see here. I'm going to, well, just, I'll pick it up with verse 6. And I forgot to welcome our viewing audience, too. If I, I'm alive, alive. It's great to have everybody here worshiping live. But for those who are live stream, hope you uh, can turn in your Bibles and follow along the same there. And so let's pick it up with verse 6. The first six, five verse, verses there are just kind of uh, uh, laying the groundwork. But I'll actually start with verse 7. Seven. All right. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in the window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. Right? That's the Greek, how it's said in the Greek there. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. Wow. Uh, And as you know, last week after I read this and started to talk about this, we had a vivid illustration of this. Cheryl, remember Cheryl last week? Uh, and I told her I was going to use it. She's watching. I told Cheryl, I'll tell her, she, Cheryl, um, she started tipping over in the chair, you know, and, and then you all know, you all had to leave me, the EMS, and everybody kept piling in here, and, and it was crazy, but she is doing well. Uh, she said to say thank you for all the prayers, and different people reached out to her, and, and uh, Su- did you see her today, Susan? How how she look today? Yesterday she was good. Okay, thank you, Susan. Susan, uh, been keeping track of her, and so uh, she's doing really well. So thank you. Uh, but um, I I no repeats, please. All right, I don't want to preach this one again, and we don't want to have that happen again. Okay, so so now obviously, as I mentioned last time, obviously Paul was not a never a youth pastor because he would know you can't talk longer than twenty minutes, and you have to keep the kids awake, right? You know, and you have to give them Mountain Dew also if they get too tired. So. Uh, so he was obviously never a youth pastor, but we can see why he preached on and on. Why? Because he was leaving. He was leaving, and he wanted to equip these believers. This could be the last time, may have been the last time he saw many of them, most of them. And so he was going <clears> to <throat> really equip them. And the result was that a young man falls asleep, falls out the window to his death. Yeah, but the Holy Spirit empowers Paul to resurrect Eutychus, and everybody was greatly comforted by that happening. I was thinking last week when all this was going on, I wish the Apostle Paul was here, you know, because I I just don't have that same, you know, uh, same gifting that he had. I wish he was here. Uh, So, but uh, but thankfully everything did. We all prayed together, and and Cheryl's okay, right? But uh, Eutychus deep sleep. Eutychus, deep sleep. That's what I kind of think of when I read this passage, see this passage. I see the same thing happening all over our country today. 
with the young people today and everybody today, we need a revival. We need a revival. Many young people in churches are falling asleep spiritually and end up spiritually dead. Good churches, solid churches, Bible-preaching churches. Nobody here, obviously, no young person is there. <laughs> All right? Uh, yeah. Only 2% of Generation Z, of Generation Next, only 2% have a biblical worldview. That is scary. That is scary. Teens raised in Christian homes and in Christian churches are conforming to the world at a scary, alarming rate. Romans 12, 2, where it says, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But we're seeing so many young people being conformed to the pattern of this world. We've dealt with that many times. And, uh, and uh, if you weren't here last week, you missed the story, but we're gonna, Bob and I are going to do it again. Uh, what we're seeing happen to kids is a lot what, like what happened on the farm. We, uh, one day, my brother Billy and I were out you know, hanging around the barn there, and Billy grabbed one of the chickens out of the chicken coop. And he took this chicken, and he lays it down, and he's just experimenting. He starts putting his finger by its eye and pulling it away. And, and he, I go, Billy, what are you doing? He goes, I'm going to hypnotize this chicken. I go, you can't hypnotize a chicken. We, I thought it was funny. You know, we're always doing something goofy, right? And so he... so. Kids are bored on the farm, okay. So he, so he starts off, uh, this before video games and cell phones, right? We had to find something to entertain ourselves. So he, he's doing this, and he's doing this, and finally he, he says, look, and he's, he well, moves away from it, and the chicken doesn't move. It's been hypnotized. It's laying there. I'm like, how'd you do it? He goes, you saw me. I just do it. I go, oh, wow, let me do it. He grabbed another chicken, and I grabbed the chicken. You know, we were grabbing all the, the chickens are running around the chicken coop, uh, free range. We didn't have them in fences, that, you know, during the day. They learned to run, to, you know, run. And so we're catching them, and I, and I did it, and I did it. He, he was hypnotized. I was like, holy cow, Billy did it. Let's do another one. And so we, we started grabbing all the chickens, and pretty soon we had like 20 chickens just laying there in the driveway outside the chicken coop, just laying there. And I said, <laughs> Billy's still working on I go, I got a really good idea, Billy. I went running into the house. And, uh, <clears throat> and what happened often on the farm was a dog would, would especially when it was, we first got the dog, it would kill a chicken because it, it was great sport, right? And so they would kill the chicken. My, my mom would always get so upset, and she would train them not to by taking that dead chicken and tying it around their neck. She'd take a piece of twine and tie it around the neck so it was just hanging off of their neck. And she would leave it there for about a week till it was rotting, good and rotten. And then she would cut it off, and the, chi- the dogs never went near another chicken again. They saw a chicken come, they went running the other way. They don't want to go near a chicken, you know. And so they were trained. But, uh, but my mom was always afraid of the dogs getting to the chicken. So I ran in and I go, Mom, it's terrible. The dogs have gotten into the chicken coop. They killed all the chickens, all of them. You know, my mom was, oh, those dogs, those stinking dogs. And she comes, she used another word. But she was running out, and uh, only on the farm. And she comes running out, and... <laughs> Sorry, Mom. She's watching. So anyway, uh, she comes running out, and she comes running. And there's chickens there. My mom's going, you know, the tears upset, screaming, you know, I'm going to get those dogs this time. And, and as she comes running through the chickens, yelling, all of a sudden one kind of like pops up and shakes its head like this and gets up and kind of walks away, wobbly away. And another one pops up, and another one. They're all popping up at the same time. My mom was like, oh. You know, zombie chickens, right? And so she's like scared, you know. She goes, what's happening? And they all got up walking away. And I go, I got you, Mom. I got you. 
we, we hypnotized the chickens. They're not dead. Yeah. Oh, she couldn't wait to get rid of us off that farm, right? So, uh, so but, but also, as I, I remember, Bob told me a similar story. There's more than one way to hypnotize the chicken. Come here, Bob. Tell, tell him your story. My little buddy, Bob. <laughs> well, uh, in my youth, I uh, went to Milton Nursery School. We lived on a farm. Uh, actually, a, uh, where it was a milk farm. We, we had cows that we milked. And uh, being the young fellows that we were, we, we got bored very easily. And uh, we decided one day, because someone told us how to do this, one of the guys... Uh, you take a chicken and you tuck their head underneath one of the wings and then you swing it about. And it kind of puts them to sleep, hypnotizes them, puts them in a coma, whatever. (laughs) But it was pretty neat. But that wasn't enough for us uh, because we had a house mother and a house father. So what we decided to do was put the chickens to sleep, put a little red around where the neck was bent and laid them down. Oh, when the house mother saw that, she thought we cut the heads off the chickens. <laughs> and she wasn't amused at all. <laughs> Not being our mother, but our house mother, uh, we paid the price. But it was worth it. <laughs> Thank you, buddy. Great minds think alike. See? Great minds think alike. <clears throat> so... I can't believe he told that same story. Uh, so, it's a funny story, but what we see in our culture is it's really happening. Not to chickens, but to our young generation next. It's, it's happening. We see it with so many. Even, uh, even with people who are in youth ministry, who are youth pastors. I talk to these guys now, and, and they're, they're out there. They're just crazy out there, and no wonder the teens aren't getting, the, you know, getting a biblical worldview because the, the people in the youth ministry are not all, but so many I run into. One guy I ran to a guy last week, and and we were talking, and and he was so woke, you know, that he couldn't stay awake, you know, and he was he was I just couldn't believe one of the things he said to me was shocking. He said he supported Black Lives Matter. I said, Black Lives Matter? That's a demonic organization. Have you ever read their website? I goes, oh, yeah, I, uh, I think I've read a lot. I go, no, you haven't. If you read their website, you know that everything they stand for is anti-Christ. Everything. How can you support that? I go, if you're going to support some, support every Black Life Matters. That's an organization that our church supports. And I've sent it out many times at emails, and I hope you've been subscribing to that, because they are a biblical care about black people. Every Black Life Matters, from the unborn baby until to the teenagers, to the, 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 the older people, to uh, victims of, of police violence. They support, they care about everybody. And they're not about social justice, which is demonic. They're about biblical justice, which is the real thing. The other one is a counterfeit, demonic counterfeit. Well, we had a short lunch. But anyway, uh, you know, it, it, it was just crazy. And I talked to other people in the youth ministry, and I mentioned this last time. You know, someone who was pro 
choice, thinks it's okay to, you know, think women have, you know, it's okay to, uh, abortion's okay. I go, how can you say that? You're a Christian and, and you're, in, you know, working with youth groups, you know, youth ministry. How can you believe that? That's terrifying me. Well, it's just, that's what's important is women's choice. Yeah, I, I wish they wouldn't kill me, but it's really more, the women's choice is more important. That is scary, right? Another person in the youth ministry was like affirming homosexuality and, and saying, well, you can't, you can't invite people in and, and then tell them that it's wrong. I'm like, isn't that the Christian, whole Christian thing? We all have something that's wrong and that we have to change, not just one group, everybody. I, I just couldn't believe it, that this, that what I'm hearing, this, this, this crazy stuff. And then when I talk to, to Generation X about sexual sin, whether it's homosexual or heterosexual, you talk to them about that, and, and they're, they're completely oblivious. They're not even... They're not even uh, I'm not, they're not, they're not struggling with it. That I'm not upset that they struggle with the temptation. We all struggle with temptation, right? I'm not upset that, I'm upset when I talk to these Generation X because they're not struggling. They don't even care about it. They have no concept of, of sexual sin. And, and they have been hypnotized by a lie. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11. How many times have you heard this from me? Or do you not know that the, this is the truth? Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. And that's what these people are mentioning and this whole generation has been deceived. Do not be deceived. Neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That pretty much covers all of us, doesn't it? We could add to that list, couldn't we? But look what he says next. And that is what some of you were. That's what some of you were. But you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That's what we were. As Christians, we can't, that's, if, if that's what we are, then we're not going, we're not in the kingdom of heaven. We've been deceived. We, doesn't mean we can't struggle with those areas, but that can't be our identity. We can't be just okay with it. We can't just not struggle with it. We've got to fight tooth and nail till the day we die. That's what a true Christian does. That's what we wear. We are washed, sanctified, and justified. But this whole generation has been hypnotized. We need a revival. We need a revival our, and because the youth are the future of the church. The future and two percent isn't going to cut it, is it? it? That's the future of the church. What was the root? And some of you already heard this. Uh, what was the root of Eutychus' fall? Why? Why did he fall? And someone got it last week. Amy got it because he was sitting on the ledge, right? Thank you. She got sitting on the ledge. That was the problem. We so many are sitting on the ledge, living on the edge, living life on the edge. At parents, we so many parents, we have to fight for our kids. We can't leave them out on the ledge. We can't leave them there. So many parents are like Eutychus's parents, not the kids are teetering on the edge of a cliff. And they're totally unaware. And I, and I talk to them like, oh, I didn't even think, see that. I didn't realize it. Like, listen, we have to watch them close. That does not mean be a helicopter parent. 
So last thing we need to do, I know Chickie's just went to college a couple weeks ago, and she was on the phone talking to Dee, and I said, why have you called me? She goes, why have you called me? I'm not a helicopter parent, you know? So uh, we did have a little fun talking. But, uh, but not a helicopter parent, but we must be involved spiritually. We must be involved spiritually. And if we see them struggling, we have to battle for them. If we see them with friends that, that are ex- exerting too much peer pressure, we have to realize that it's powerful. Listen, peer pressure is powerful. Think of the crazy things you did with your friends because of peer pressure, right? It's powerful. We have to protect them. I'm going to tell one. I know I told this one. I probably shouldn't even tell it now. But anyway, uh, one time <clears throat> we were with a group of friends. Uh, were with us, and my brother Billy had the car, and he was driving, and uh, and I was me and three or four of my other friends, and we just got done with uh, it was like some kind of class night where everybody did something up on the stage, something funny. And my one friend, Lenny, he, uh, he was a big Kiss fan, you know, the Kiss group. And he put on the makeup and he played his drums and, and he was all wound up. So we got outside and, and, and I, don't, I don't know who said this. So I, I can't remember now. But someone said, Lenny, why don't you get up on top of the car and, and you can hold on to the car. We'll scare people driving down the road because you got the makeup on. And he was all forward. He was all pumped up. He was a real tough guy wrestler. So he gets up on top of the car and he grabs the, the, the Around you know the passenger side, the, the, the you know the, where the windows were open, he grabs a hole there. He, he has his head over the the windshield, and he can actually look down and see us. He's laughing, and so Billy, Billy, come on, Billy, let's go. You know, come on, Billy, drive. So Billy drove, and uh, so he, he we start driving, and everything's going great. We're going through the town, but then we got out of the town, and and we said, Billy, go faster, go faster, Billy. So Billy sped up the car. He got up to like 55 miles an hour, and you can see. <laughs> Letters leaning over, making face like, help, help, you know, he's panicked, right? And, and so I said, I said, I think he's lo- going to lose his grip. His fingers were slipping. So the guys were helpful. They rolled up the windows really tight on his fingers. So he couldn't slip out. That was how they decided to help him out. And, and finally, Billy says, that's enough. And he stopped. And, and uh, letter gets in his hands. He goes, what are you guys trying to kill me? And we were like laughing, laughing, laughing. Gets in the car. And we turn on the radio and hear some music. And it was a special news report. A young boy was killed in Buffalo this week, tonight, riding on top of a car. I'm telling you, he got in the car, we turned it on, and we were all like, ah. nobody said anything. We drove home, and we never did that again. And that's the last time we talked about it until Billy told on me about something. And I can't remember what it was. And I said, yeah, well, you put letters on top of your car. <laughs> we did it all the time. So anyway, we got each other. But anyway, that's what peer pressure can do something so stupid right we're lucky he wasn't killed it's crazy but that's peer pressure we have to understand that about peer pressure it's very very important it's powerful and you we have to know our kids some of our kids can stand up to it, it's no problem but others are followers and that's just their person it's okay we have to know our kids and we might have to remove them from a friend group or from a friend we might have to do that Even if they don't like it, we might have to remove them. With schools, we might have to move them. Move them. Remember, I uh, last week told the story about the little girl who, uh, it's about where I got, little girl who, uh, in the news a couple weeks ago, now, three-year-old girl, she was, uh, her mother uh, was in Mexico. Her mother took her for treatment to the hospital because she was dehydrated. 
You guys read that story? Dehydrated. But she went and took her into the hospital where the doctor was working. Her mom was ordered out of the room as they treated her. Out of the room as they treated her. A doctor came out and told her that the daughter had passed away and they had a funeral the next day. You know how the schools order us out? They don't want us to hear anything or see anything or give our input, right? So many of the schools, right? And so the next day, they uh, have the funeral. And while they're in the funeral, they're, you know, noticing in the casket, she starts moving. She's alive. Not only did they not help her, they declared her dead when she wasn't dead. So they rushed her back to another hospital where she then ended up dying again. What was their mistake? What was the parents' mistake? They, tr- leave, they left her. They trusted the wrong person twice with their daughter. That, 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 who they entrusted their daughter to. And so many of us do the same thing with our kids. We put our kids in these woke preschools, right? And then they move right into a school that, that, where they are indoctrinated. Now, listen, there are many great teachers. We have lots of great teachers in our church. I say this all the time. Uh, but increasingly, they, these teachers have to battle an administration and a school board that is anti-Christ. There's no other way. It's demonic what they're doing. And our good teachers here have to battle them tooth and nail. And God bless you guys who are doing that. You're missionaries there. But it's, it's a tough battle. But we, we, this is what the schools indoctrinate. They don't educate anymore. They indoctrinate. And then we go right to a college where we pay them $50,000 minimum or a lot more. We pay them all this money to brainwash our kids, to finish the brainwashing process. Right? Even many Christian colleges that we thought were, many of us went to these schools and now they're not the same schools anymore. And then we find out that the, even a lot of these so-called Christian colleges are far from that. Chuck, how many times have we dealt with these poor teenagers that are getting indoctrinated, even in the Christian colleges? It's brutal. Uh, and, and, and after all that, then we're shocked when our kids die spiritually. We're, we're shocked when they lose their faith. We're shocked. But it's because we, we have to remove or move them. It, and, it, and it's so important. It's so important that we fight for our kids. Parents, raising our kids is our job. It's our job to raise our kids. If they're in the public school, I tell people all the time, you better teach them survival skills. You better teach them survival skills just like you would teach a kid going into a dangerous situation. Spiritual survival skills or spiritual self-defense. They're in a dangerous place. You teach them, you know, self-defense. Spiritual self-defense. Very important. And if it gets too toxic, you better get them out of there. Get them out of there. Very, very important. And even if it's a Christian school, a lot of times we put them in Christian schools. Oh, you better still, you better still be involved. It's it's better. It's better in a Christian school, but you'd better still be involved, right? Because, I, boy, I've seen so many Christian kids in Christian schools die spiritually. And the parents come to me, and I, I'm like, well, don't you, what have you been doing? Well, I haven't done anything. I just put them in the Christian school. I thought my job was done. I'm like, no, that's just the beginning of it. You've got you to gotta be involved. Even if you have them in a Christian school you, or a Christian college, you better be super involved in it. It's, in, it and it's vital to battle for our kids. And that means getting them to church regularly. Very important that we have our kids in church regularly. Our kids know there's no choice. It was until they go to college, they got to be in church. They got to be in youth group. We don't just don't give them a choice. 
You know, if they don't feel like going to soccer practice, do you say, oh, you don't have to go? No, you got to go to soccer practice. You don't want to practice your horn? No, you can, you, don't, you can just go play in the band. You don't have to practice your horn. No, but, but we do that with, with God. <clears throat> right? All right, so, you know, uh, I, what really irks me is how many people take their kids out to play sports. Say, oh, I'll see you in three months, my kid's playing basketball or something on Sunday mornings. You won't see, won't see us or my kid for three months. And a lot of times I never see him again. But it's crazy. I'm like, I want to like just like shake that parent. Uh, look at this uh, great uh, illustration. You have that slide. You better help me because I can't remember. Oh, there it is. Okay. Uh, I was looking at my thing. There is a zero... Uh, 0.0296% chance your child will become a professional athlete. There is a 100% chance that your child will stand before Jesus. Get them to church. Enough said. Enough said. Uh, get, get them to use group faithfully. It's so important. So important. Uh, Josiah and Becca are running the youth group now, and they're leading it now, and it's going really well. We're back on track again. Uh, We've always tried to keep a strong youth ministry here. But still, it's still, even with that, it's your job. Parents, it's your job. It's still your job. Even if they go to church, go to youth group, go to Christian school, go where. But it's still your job. I'll never forget when I was a youth pastor, one one, uh, dad, uh, he wanted to meet with me and the senior pastor because he wanted to read me the riot act. And, and, and I had a youth group that was on fire. It was, revi- it was having a revival. It was crazy. But his, this guy's daughter, who went to Christian school, and she was a spoiled brat, she, uh, she, was, she, did not, she did not like youth group. She would just come. She was just too cool for it all and just went and in. You know, you know what I'm talking about. We all have kids like that. I, 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 just too cool for it all. But I didn't make up. I just let her be there, you know. But the dad came and confronted me in front of the pastor and said, this guy's just a lousy youth pastor. Now, we have a, I had 150 kids in my youth group at the time, bigger than our church here. It was on fire, but, but I'm doing a bad job, right? So just that part. But there were kids getting saved every week. They were just witnessing. It was crazy, but his, his daughter was too cool, too cool. So I'm doing a bad job. And, and I said, listen, the kids are on fire, your daughter's not. That's not my, you know, I, you know, I'm doing the best I can, but I think it's her attitude, you know, her spirit, you know. It's not my problem. Maybe she's got to, you know, you know, get into it. And uh, he's like, no, it's your fault. If it, she's not doing well spiritually, it's your problem. And I said, well, let, me, let me explain the math to you. And the senior pastor, I could see him starting to sweat, you know. And uh, I said, because he wanted to keep everybody at all costs. But anyway, yeah, I said, listen, let me do the math for you. When your daughter comes to youth group, she's there for two hours a week. That's how much I see her. We have 150 kids in those two hours. I might be able to give her one real minute a, per, a person, right? But that's all I see her for two. And, but honestly, she doesn't come that much. And when she does, she just you know, falls asleep. Eutychus, all right? And so, and so I said, but how much do you have her a week? I have her two hours. How much does that leave you? 24, 7 minus two hours. Do the math, sir. If she's not doing well spiritually, it's your fault. Pastor said, okay, that's enough. We've got far enough today. We'll deal with this another time. Yeah. What could he say? It's his, it's our job. It's us as parents. 
We can't blame a youth leader. We can't blame, you know, someone. It's our job to invest in our kids spiritually. And parents, we, you, we are the key. We are God's number one option. Not plan B. We're plan A. We're the number one option. And you know who has the, the, the most responsibility in that? Yeah, fathers. Ephesians 6.4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up. And the training and instruction of the Lord. Someday, each of us as dads will stand before God. And he's going to hold us accountable. Not for how our kids turned out. No, no, no. They've got to make their decisions. He's going to hold us responsible for what we did faithfully. Doing our job. And I've had my kids, different kids, have said to me, Why are you being so like this and that? Why did you leave me and let me go live my life? Do I live it? I go, because it's my job. If you decide to live another way, that's okay. But while you're under, till you're 18, it's my job to raise you in, in, God, in, in the right way. God's going to hold me accountable. And once you're out, you're out. Then it's between you and God. And let me tell you, you can discipline a lot harder than I can. All right. So, but but it's our dads. It's our responsibility, and we need revival. We need revival, and it starts with each family. Terry Noble talks about that all the time. It starts with each family is with a revival. But it's tough, isn't it? Dads and moms, it's tough. It's like walking a tightrope, isn't it? Especially when they're teenagers, you're walking this tightrope. We have to battle, but we don't want to push too hard, right? <laughs> if we push too hard, we push them off the rope, you know? But we got to battle. We can't just let them, you know, we just can't let them go the wrong way. But it's really tricky, isn't it? And even many times we do, we do everything that we can, the best that we can under God's grace, but still they jump off the rope. How many of us had prodigals? They still jump off the rope. Uh, it, 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 we, a lot of us have painful prodigals. You know what I have been through, what Kim and I have been through, many here. It's heartbreaking, but kids still make up their own minds. When they reach adulthood, they have to, the faith, they have to choose to follow Jesus or not. Even when we battle so hard, they have to make that decision. But in order to get through this, we need God's mercy and grace. Right, parents? We need God's mercy and grace. Even if you have a prodigal, we just mercy... And grace. Hebrews 4.16. How many times have you heard this one? Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Mercy is the forgiveness. Grace is extra help, you know, to not whatever the struggle is. Let's say it's a temptation. Mercy is the forgiveness. But grace is to not go back to that again. But mercy and grace. We just need mercy and grace. If you, if you, all of us constantly, I must say it a thousand times a day, God, mercy and grace. Mercy and grace. We need it. That's how we live this life. That's how we parent. That's how we do it all. And not only, not only God's mercy and grace, but the church is here to, to help with that mercy and grace. We're here for you. We have lots of resources, lots of different counseling, lots of different things. We have a youth group. So important. To, you know, we try so hard to give them a, a peer group that's positive. We have the body of Christ. You, know, you heard the saying, it takes a village. No, it takes a village idiot is what I say with that one. I say it takes... It takes a church family. It takes the body of Christ. And that's what we're all here for. If you need, if you, we, you need help with, with anything, 
kids, but anything. We, the body of Christ, we're here for you. We need to be here for you. Share. We, any way that we can, we will do it. We're all here for each other. It takes, it takes the church family. Last week, when Cheryl tipped over, a little bit before this part of the sermon, tipped over, uh, there was two people, two key people. There lots of different people helped but two key people. One was the, Diane Adams was right behind her. And Diane has training because she has a preschool. She was, had that training and she recognized and knew what to get started. And then uh, we got Bob Noble into action. And Bob was here. Sometimes he can't be here on Sunday because of responsibilities. But he was had to be here last week because I needed him for his story. And so he's an e- EMT, fireman, all kinds of things he's done. But he, he's an expert, and he sprang into action and knew just what to do. And both of those people being here that same time, that same week, Diane right behind her and Bob here, and that's had a huge, huge, they knew exactly what to do. Knew right what to do. That's the body of Christ. That's the body of Christ. And that's, that was God's perfect timing. But listen, we're all needed. We need all of us here every week, right? We all need to be, no, it can't be every, every week, but you know, most of the time we all need to be here. Because you, know, you don't know who needs to talk to you or pray with you or who needs to be encouraged. Or you don't know what, what you're, you're talking to someone and spending time with someone and finding out what's going on. Oh, hey, let's go do lunch today. You know, and, and, and talk to them and help them. We, that's the body of Christ. We're all needed. And we also need Jesus Christ. We need to put our faith in Jesus, and we need to depend on our faith in Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. We cannot do anything I've talked about today. Parents, teens, every one of us has to put our faith in Jesus Christ. John three sixteen. here it is. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Every one of us has to have a time in our life where we are, Jesus called it, being born again. Where we put our faith in Jesus Christ. Where we say, God, I don't want to sin anymore. I repent of that. I put my faith in Jesus. His death on the cross for me. The blood he shed is for me. His body he gave is for me. This is communion, right? It, it's the body and the blood. Remembering what Jesus did, we put our faith in Jesus. We give our life to him. Have you ever taken that step of faith? We cannot do this without Jesus Christ. We need a revival. And not just Generation Z. Every generation needs a revival, doesn't it? As we get ready to go to communion, in just a moment, I just want to mention 9-11. We need a revival. 9-11, you were, many of us remember, our church was just getting started. That was God's warning to the USA. That shook the country to its knees, remember? Shocked us. The churches were packed, but it didn't last. It only lasted three months. And then the church is emptied out again. Three months. And now the USA is more wicked than it was 20 years ago by a lot. Well, that's the good old days. Right? Look where we are now. Much worse. We are now on the edge of a cliff, and only a spiritual awakening can save this country. But before there can be a spiritual awakening, there has to be a revival in the church. There can't be anything that happens in the country until there's a revival in the church. That is our only hope. But no matter what 
happens to the USA. We may be already off the cliff. I have my views. But no matter what happens to the USA, the church needs to be the church. The church needs a revival. In order, it's going to be vital to survive what's coming to this planet. Well, you can see it. What's coming to this late, great planet Earth, it's vital that the church has a revival. It's vital to our survival individually. It's vital to our survival as a church here. It's vital to not just survival, but that we not just survive, but we would thrive as a revival. It has to happen. And the key to our revival is a close communion with Jesus Christ. A close communion with Jesus Christ. And that's what today is all about. That's what it's all about. We're going to do communion a little differently today. Uh, some of you can get the things, but we're also going to have it up front. We're going to have uh, the communion table up front. So, yeah, you don't need a hand. Yeah, yeah it's just letting our, our team is so efficient there. But we did it, do it a different way today. Uh, the key is to revival is a close communion with Jesus Christ, and that's what communion is all about. Communion is primes the pump. We don't just do communion and then wait, wait till the next month. And No, it, it, this is to bring us close to God and his son Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit as we take communion. And that just primes the pump so that we stay in communion all throughout the week, every day, 24-7. And we just stay in communion. It just primes that pump. What it is, we, take, we have the bread and the cup. Some of you already got your cups. And you're going to just take, you know, we have the COVID-friendly cups, since about half of you have those. The other half might want to come forward. We have the table set up, so during the, the, the Todd will lead, you'll have the time to come up and get the bread and the cup and take it back. The bread represents the body of Jesus Christ that he gave on the cross for us. The cup represents the blood of Jesus Christ that he shed for us, for our forgiveness. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. When we do this, we remember what Jesus did for us. And, and that, so you're going to have two different options on how to take it. There's only, I want to say this, there's a few reasons why we shouldn't take it. First of all, nobody is watching. We don't record. We don't video. You know, it's between you and God. But if you have not put your faith in Jesus, you've never taken that step of faith, then don't take the Lord's Supper because the Bible says don't take it in an unworthy way. Just wait. Wait till you're ready. Or if there's something in our life that God has convicted us of, and, we, and in the Bible, or he hasn't convicted us, but we see it in the Bible because we've gotten so hard, right? If the Bible says something, we're, we're saying, no, I'm going to live this way. You remember the, the list, what we were, you're still living that way? Don't take the Lord's Supper. Don't take it. But the whole point of communion is if you haven't put your faith in Jesus, do it today. If there's something in your life that the Holy Spirit wants you to let go of, let go of it today. You don't have to be perfect. Just say, God, I'm going to start fighting this battle. I want you to set me free. I want to fight this. Please forgive me. I need your mercy and grace. That's what this communion time is for. I hope everybody can because everybody, everybody does because everybody can, but it's between you and God. But everybody can because John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Let's pray. As we go to this time of prayer, how is God speaking to us? How is his spirit speaking to us? Maybe here today you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. You've never taken that step of faith. 
But today is going to be that day for you. The Holy Spirit's calling you. And today you know you're going to respond. The simple prayer of faith. It really just happens in your heart, but the simple prayer of faith that, God, I, I repent of my sin, the garbage in my life. I don't want the shame anymore. I ask you to forgive me. Because I'm putting my faith in Jesus Christ, my trust, my hope, my complete dependence, my faith in Jesus Christ. His death for me. The blood of Jesus that he shed to wash me clean. I put my faith in him. I give my life to you, God. If you have prayed that prayer of faith, you can now commune with God any time. The Holy Spirit is now inside of you. You're going to be shocked at, at how you can hear from God, how you can read his word and it just comes alive. How you're going to be convicted for doing something that goes against his word. You're just going to feel this new conviction because God wants to make you like Jesus. He wants to make you he wants to set you free. He wants to set us free to live a real life in Jesus Christ. No lies, no deception, freedom, joy. If you've taken that step of faith, I want to encourage you to tell somebody today. Tell me on the way out, felt the card. If you have a family member or a friend here, or if you have someone who's been praying for you at home, tell somebody so that we can be excited for you and encourage you in your new faith. But now you can commune with God. You can talk to God as your Father anytime through His Son, Jesus. For those of us who are already Christians, our prayer today, I hope, is revive me. Revive me. Let my faith be more real. Let your Holy Spirit's power move through me in a, a whole new way. As I surrender these areas of my life, as I fight the battle to make sure what I was is in the past and who I am now is washed, sanctified, and justified. It's a lifelong battle, isn't it? Just keep fighting by God's mercy and grace. Don't give up. Year after year, don't give up. And then all of a sudden you look back and you say, wow, sanctified, changed, transformed. I never thought it would happen. Parents, maybe your prayer today is, Jesus, I need you to battle for my kids or my adult kids. I need your mercy and grace. Teens, maybe you're struggling. Get ready. It's a lifetime of struggle. But once you put your faith in Jesus, you have the power and you have God's mercy and grace to get back up again and to keep on fighting, to keep on struggling. 
Father, I pray for every one of us that this communion time, your Holy Spirit would empower us and move in us. We pray for revival here in each one of our lives and our church. In Jesus' name.